30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard In 1870, the Austrian writer Leopold von Sacher Masoch released his novella Venus in Furs. Framed as a story within a story, the novella centers on a man so infatuated with a woman that he asks to be her slave and begs her to degrade him. Playing the role of her servant, he relishes in her brutal and cruel treatment of him. The shocking story introduced a new word into our sexual lexicon, masochism. Pulled from the author's last name, the same way the Marquis de Sade bequeathed us with its sibling, sadism. Although the origins of these words come from fiction and fantasy, the themes are a mirror of our supposedly civilized society, and the power structures, hierarchies, and casual cruelty we too often tolerate as just the way things are. But when taken on by consenting adults, playing at these roles and engaging pain as a strange shortcut to pleasure, we at once become more aware of the invisible laws governing everyday decorum, the binding constraints of gender, and our own personal preferences. Kink, bondage, submission, and dominance are all tools for exploring the structure of our own sexuality, and like the fictional manuscript Memoirs of a Supersensual Man, read within Masoch's Venus in Furs, the games within games we play with power can be seen as a form of magical practice. Our guest today, Lola Jean, is a sex educator, fetish wrestler, writer, podcaster, and professional dominatrix. She holds the current world record for squirting by volume and is a master in the art of sadomasochism. She joins our ritual today to share her wisdom about femdom and teach us all how to be sexually dominant. Hello, Lola Jean. Hi. Welcome to Ritual Space. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What's our magic word going to be? Today, the magic word is discomfort. Ooh, that's a fun one. Mm-hmm. One, two, three. Discomfort. discomfort. Why discomfort? I Lately, I have been noticing i think especially with things like call out culture or cancel culture that people are shying away from having difficult conversations and that's what got me thinking about it but i mean generally speaking whenever we have discomfort we tend to go to avoidance and discomfort mm-hmm. is where growth can happen and i mean i this is advice that i should like take myself with certain things too of sometimes it's the best kind of advice yeah exactly <laughs> there's like certain things where i'm like oh i'm great at that but also like uh there i'm so bad at being like sitting in the uncomfortableness of like my loneliness or something mm-hmm. But it's really, I think that's really hard advice to give because it's it's kind of dual-sided. It's like, right. if you're uncomfortable, work through it because it could be important to your growth. Also, if you're uncomfortable, listen to yourself. And sometimes you just yeah. got to bail because that's a bad situation exactly. and like you need to prioritize self-care. Right. 
I have, yeah, it's, it's one that I always am like yeah. back and forth where it's like, sometimes you got to push yourself to go yeah. to that party. Like, it doesn't matter that you're tired. Like, it's like, it's the fear element when you add mm-hmm. that together with it. If there's like a fear, um, because of the discomfort, that's usually when it's like, hmm, question that. Yeah. And like, I'm thinking more around like conversations. Yeah. Difficult conversations. Yes. Yeah. Now, I think there's also some discomfort in the the work that you do, but it's a different kind of discomfort where it's one that people intentionally seek out. Maybe. I, I was like kind of even thinking of like, if I just like talk about my job or just talk about certain things clinically, it makes people uncomfortable. Oh, there we go. Too. But, yeah. but yeah, also that because it's, I mean, it's things in a vulnerable place, um, working in things like sex and kink and relationships and, and all of those things that you're not supposed to talk about mm-hmm. with a family member or a stranger or even a friend. So heads up to everyone that's listening to this with their parents right now. We are going to talk about sex. So that might be a little bit uncomfortable, but probably good. You and your parents will will learn something from this conversation and listening to yeah, it together. Maybe my parents will listen to it. Make oh. them really uncomfortable. The we'll time. listen to it with our parents together. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that'll be the follow up. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about sex. Okay. How did you come to enter the world of, of sex and what is it specifically that you do now? Yeah. So I've, I've been thinking a lot more about this lately too, just because I've been, um, I've been going to some sex addicts and sex and love addicts meetings, um, mm-hmm. not for like research, but like for myself. Mm-hmm. And there's one I went to last night and was talking about how like how our addictions really shape everything that we do and who we are. And I'm like, oh shit. It like, no, it's literally shaped like literally everything that I do now. Cause I, I switched careers to this, but it was something where, I mean, sex has always been a, a, a curiosity of mine, sex and intimacy really, but sex is something that was easier for me to obtain than intimacy sure. in that way. So it was something I'd always been very sexual as a younger person and exploring that. And Due to the lack of finding in- intimacy, I've haven't been in a relationship any of any kind of romantic or serious level, and that led me to look at sex very pragmatically. So I was able to, I mean, really not have like the clouded judgment of things like love, but uh, I have a different viewpoint on sex and those type of things. And just through my experience, uh, I've just become an ex- I've become an experienced expert. There's a lot of things that I realize that I'm good at that I know more about than I think I do, and just the way that I approach and think about things. Um, and just from per- being perpetually single, I'm always thinking about it first on an individual level and then on a level with another person. But how I came to do this was by accident. Um, I didn't intend to do this at all. I was trying to find a job I didn't hate, mm-hmm. and I was uh, I was working doing some like marketing and social media for my mentor Kenneth Play and I kind of just got like not by him but by like the community and by people that were attending things they wanted to listen to what I had to say and they kind of lifted me up into this position and it just made sense and fit and I was like you know I'm gonna try it I told my therapist I'm like you know this is either gonna be the the next chapter of the rest of my life or a really fucking fun detour there you go. Either way, it's a win-win. Taking the scenic route. Out of, yeah. <laughs> always a good choice. So what was the first thing where, like, so this is the sex educator role that you stepped into. Yeah. And so what was the first thing where you started telling people, you started sharing some of your hard-won knowledge about sex? Well, so there was definitely, like, a there was a switch in my career where it's just like, okay, no more muggle life. We're going forward. And that was when I did something where it's like, okay, I'm going to be naked on the internet. That was, like, 
you know, a don't tell mom kind of a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, mom, listen to this podcast right now. Just found out. Not, no, they, they know now. I have like no secrets anymore. It's just like, what's the point? Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> it just makes them very uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, you have to either have to deal with it or not. Depends. Um, but I started. So, I mean, I started uh, co-teaching squirting because that's something that uh, my body could do things that no one else could do. And I was disproving science and things that other educators were claiming. I could disprove it in like five seconds. When did you discover that? Uh, when I was in like my late 20s, like 27. Or oh, wow. There. Okay. Yeah. So not that far. And it was something that like I discovered it when I was having sex with someone else and then they promptly broke it off with me. So then I figured it out on my own. Gotcha. And I figured it out on my own in a way where it wasn't the same as to what other educators were saying. And I felt like my side and my story and, and you know, the, the person that's doing the squirting side was left out of the conversation. So I started co-teaching there. And that was kind of how I started realizing that I knew more than I thought I did. And the first class I taught was a femdom class. It was an introduction to female domination and more on a lifestyle side. So more of somebody in a relationship, in casual sex, um, not on a professional level. And that was another thing where like I just... I mean, my pro-dom friends can tell you, too. I have this, like, insane ability. Like, they're just, like, she'll just, like, turn these guys she meets on Tinder into, like, her pay pigs or, like, her slaves or whatever real quick. I just can, like, sniff it out with the regular dudes. What is it that you think you you notice? What is the what is the signal that clues you in? I mean, I don't think it's that I'm clued in. I <laughs> think it's that uh, of the approach that I take and the language that I use. I'm very open. I can create a safe space. And I have a lot of confidence. So there may be that trust that they give in me. The line that I hear a lot of like, okay, I wouldn't normally do this, but if it's going to be anyone, it's going to be you kind of a deal. Um, And it's like, I create that space where it's also like, it's okay if you don't, that's totally fine. Here's what it could be. Um, I think it's really fun, but like, doesn't have to be your thing at all. But like, I I also don't do these things or whatever, whatever it is. I'm not cornering them at all. There's no coercion. Um, It's, I mean, a lot of it's just like kind of how I would want to be dealt with um, where like, I don't want to be coerced or pushed or corralled anywhere. So what is the situation then that, that arises out of this? Um, so, I mean, it's something where I, I was sexualized at a very young age, which kind of mm-hmm. led me to explore what this was more. But that's something that still stuck with me for what there's whatever it is about me. I could wear a burlap sack. I could change my name. I could change my hair color. There's just something that emanates from me that is sexual. And I've stopped fighting it. And I've stopped hiding behind it. I've stopped hiding from it. And I've just accepted that it is a part of me. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. And because of that, a lot of these conversations just kind of come up. And now, especially since it's my career, which I'm like, I go back and forth from like hiding it Mm -hmm. kind of from people because it's like, I also want to be more than that. And like, it's something that people sexualize. And I'm like, but it's also my job that I'm just talking to you about. Especially on on dating where, you know, you... You don't want to be limited to that one thing that is especially when people are like looking for sex. And they're like, oh, you mentioned the word sex. Now I'm. You said the secret word. I'm yeah. tracking you. And, I know. And it just becomes this like game of just like doing this whole dance around it. Be like, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say the word yeah. or like whatever it is. 
Um, but it's something that people have on the brain a lot. And I think because of my comfortability with it, I give people this permission to talk about this thing that they feel like they can't talk about to anyone. And I don't provide judgment. Um, and I, when you say this thing, do you mean like domination fantasies or something more broad than that? Um, something more broad than that, whatever. Um, it, it tends to be like domination fantasies or prostate play or pegging or something like that, just because, um, especially, men are so have so much pressure on them and there's so much less opportunity for exploration of mm-hmm. their sexuality or of these tropes that are typically defined as like non-masculine. Yeah. And I'm like kind of telling them why it's like, oh, I think this is super hot and super masculine. And like, here's actually how it also could be seen. And it's like, oh, you're right. That's very interesting. It's kind of like you're the high school kid that figured out like that weed was cool before everyone else and now people are like oh hey what's going on um we're going to a concert this weekend and you're like yeah yeah i can help you get pot like i know what you're, i know what you're looking for like yeah 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 you want someone to put a finger in your butt something like I, that i can probably do that for you if i'm interested exactly yeah. um but yeah i think it's because it's i don't know i talk about things in a clinical way but for whatever reason i give the, the sexual energies out there and it's something where the conversation may shift that way. You know, if we're on a dating app, then like there's something borderline there to begin with. It's something I'm kind of working on. Like, am I navigating it here? Am I like, am I trying to navigate away from it? So I couldn't really tell you why or how it comes up, but I think also because of like, you know, heteronormative society and gender roles, a lot of times it could come up of something about me being submissive or fitting into some kind of female stereotype which which I don't and I don't like that Mm. and I have some like I call it like micro trauma associated with that so I've I've been handled very poorly and I need to trust someone for those types of things so instead of being like no no don't do this don't enter the zone I try to give them an alternative yeah Um, and which they don't have to choose either because it's like I don't want to choose this and it's half of it's to give them alternative that they might choose and half of it's to be like see it's not so much fun when someone says it's a thing and you don't want to do it and then they expect you to do it so the so there's a tendency of men because of the society that we live in trying to put you in the submissive female box and you're just letting them know that there's another door yeah. that you're happy to walk them through <laughs> and oh boy it's going to be fun exactly. on the other side. We can already hear the screams through the door. Yeah. And it's like, it, it kind of helps because of when I'm talking to people, I at least minimum want to educate. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times if someone asks a question that's like they think is just, you know, fine and harmless. And I'll ask like a question back where it's like, see, it's not so nice. Yeah. Recently, it's been when people ask me of the state of my pubic hair before I've met them. Wow. That's a fun opening yeah. line <laughs> this is like when you're chatting via dating app yeah and they don't say it that way i just i like phrasing it that way of like that's how ridiculous this is yeah. but they'll be like do you shave do you wax and here's the thing i don't really care about like how my pubic hair is kept i'm not particular yeah but i don't like someone judging me based off of that even if i do have what they want or or just like i mean if we've been seeing each other they're like actually i really like this and i could be like well i can do that or i can't but before I meet you, it's just like, just want to make sure that you live up to my pubic hair standards. It's like, can I ask you about the state of your pubic hair? Do you It's like your you're chest? not an item at the grocery store. You yeah. can't pick me up and read my ingredients label. That's yeah. like not how this works. Yeah. And it's not something where it's like, oh, I have a type. It's like, that's a preference. Yeah. Not a type. <laughs> now, let's talk about female domination. Okay. And when did 
you become like interested in this and what can you define it for our listeners who might this might be the first time they've ever heard of like what is this what does it entail what does this mean yeah so female domination it is there's there's gradients of it mm-hmm. um it's a, it's a scale just like anything else is and it can be anything from you know what you see in the movies and on tv where it's this full 24 7 female-led relationship and they're deciding everything for that michelle person. pfeiffer batman 2 catwoman outfit sure. whip that whole thing yeah which i would say is like 0.01 percent yeah maybe um there's like certain people that are also suited for 24 7 it is not most mm-hmm. it's a lot that's those are more hyper controlling kind of personalities but it could be something that's more casual it could be something that you just do kind of during sexy times um, or it can just kind of be a general approach you take to life i think that female domination more than just kind of being a fun lifestyle choice i think it really teaches you a lot about yourself teaches you a lot about how to carry yourself how to be uh how to maintain confidence in an uncomfortable situation or when you don't know what you're doing, how to maintain power and control. It's really applicable to so many places and of how I discovered this. So the funny thing is like looking back, even of my behavior, like as a child of stories I hear, I was like, I was a dominant little fuck mm-hmm. and I was a bratty fuck. Like since I was little, I were you, was were you a defiant. bossy girl. I was defiant. I was bratty. Defiant. Yeah. yeah. Like I would just be like, I'm in charge and be like, no, you're not. And I would just yeah. like to test power. I would like to push it a lot. And it wasn't until like, so everything happened around the same time when I became a sex educator, mm-hmm. I started working as a pro dom. I discovered that I could squirt. I was working as a sex educator. All these, I was started doing wrestling fetish. Um, and that was a time where I also. What just, a quarter life crisis. Right? You're just, yeah. You're just like blossom. I know. I hate that. It's like a stereotypical quarter life crisis. <laughs> I don't think it's that stereotypical. <laughs> I don't think everyone discovers okay. that they're a uh, squirting pro dom uh, sex educator. Yeah. That wrestles people. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's true. Okay, at least there's that. Do you have a wrestling name? Do you have like a no. character? Um, so I mean, my honorific right now, what I've been going as, is boss. I mm. like I like something more gender neutral. I used to go by goddess, but it feels too fluffy yeah. now. But no, my character. I mean, my character as a wrestler is just my character as a dom. So it's not like wrestling WWE style. It's got it. Yeah, it's fetish wrestling, which is going to be more on more, jujitsu, yeah. like MMA kind of a thing. You're not playing to a crowd. Yeah. The way I put it is like we're playing a game of cat and mouse where, you know, when like a cat catches the mouse, but it keeps it just enough alive so it can keep playing with it. Right. That's right. usually the approach that I take. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like annoying in a way, but cute. You're trying to kick their ass just enough to keep them. Yeah. No, engaged. it's like I, I, well, I kick it just enough where it's like there's a little bit left over. There's yeah. still some energy so we can still move around and do things. I'm not going to completely just dis- completely destroy you. But um, yeah, anyway, it was during that time, I guess the, the quarter life crisis time. That's when I so I thought it was a bratty sub for the longest time. And turns out that was a joke, uh, which is arguably it's like a, a dummy sub. A brat mm-hmm. is someone who doesn't like to follow rules or likes to act out. I always like to note that it's not for punishment. Everyone assumes it's for punishment. Um, I'm a brat for attention and autonomy. Yeah. Which is so if you like punish me, I'm just going to shut down. And then I also might go mute, which is dangerous. So there's a lot of things like associated with it. But that's when I discovered that. uh, Do you think think it also ties into that? Like what you said earlier about you as a kid of like testing power that you want to test those limits and, you know, oh, you say you're in control. Well, how control are you really? Because I'm not going to just 
yeah. roll over and take this. I'm going to test and see what these limits are. It has are. to do with that and then also my history with, um, I have a long extensive history of being bullied mm. and the bullies were often people that started as my friends and kind of became a bit controlling mm-hmm. um, until they like really turned into my bullies. So I don't like the feeling of being completely controlled. So part of it is just me acting out to like show my autonomy that like I do have some control and you recognize that, but ultimately I'm giving that to you you're like yeah. kind of a thing you're not making it happen was there an aha moment where you're like wait a minute i'm not a bratty sub i'm this other thing well okay it's funny i had like two aha moments one was just i mean i really discovered it when it was someone that i met who was into what i thought at the time was like severe humiliation but turns out it's probably just like you know you run of the mill humiliation my yeah yeah just some like peeing on, spitting on, cock cages, things like that. Just and, your, you know, just yeah, regular Wednesday exactly. night kind of stuff. And it's like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Let me watch some porn. Let me talk to some people. Let me do some dirty talking and see what's up. And it's like, turns out that I love it and I'm great at it. Because the thing is, is like, you're doing these things. Humiliation's a strong word that seem very mean. But when the other person loves it, it's so satisfying because you're doing these taboo things. You're getting to like, be harsh and mean, which are all things I've gotten fired for. Well, mm-hmm. not being mean, but being harsh. Yeah. Um, all things that I've gotten fired for, which is the other aha moment, which is kind of when I realized the characteristics of my bratty self. It, sem- it disseminates from who I am as a person. So it's like, that's why I got fired from all those jobs. Um, because if I'm not given autonomy, if I micromanage and told exactly what to do, I just shut down and stop trying. Mm. which is what I would do as a submissive. I like always need autonomy. It's a very, very important piece of it. So yeah, that was something where like both of those were, were complete aha moments, but it's, it's something where I'm a control freak. So it just made a lot of sense, but being able to take someone through an experience, guide them, have that trust. I'm a very selfless Dom. I'm a very selfish sub Mm. type of a thing. I think that's one of the things that's so fascinating to me about this whole world of, of kink and power dynamics is how from a distance it's like, oh, well, that person's holding the leash. That person's on the leash. Obviously, this person is in charge and this person is being taken advantage of or exploited or along for the ride or whatever it might be. But then when you zoom in, it's like, no, the person who's holding the leash is thinking constantly about how do I take care of this person? This is my responsibility. I'm trying to do the things that they like. I'm trying to make them feel fulfilled, excited, turned on. And it often is about, yeah. and then so like who's serving who gets really fuzzy really quickly yeah. in a way that I think is is so fascinating because a lot of other relationships have those similar patterns of mutual dependency but it's a uh, it's murkier when they're not investigated they're not made aware yeah and what people see is they see the like mean harshness and all those things but they don't see is the trust the communication um the trust building exercises that are all happening behind the scene and we want to get to that piece that fun like succulent piece so fast that a lot of people when they jump into it they'll just kind of negate the trust and demand it like well you have to trust me at madame this whatever it is and it's so juicy and sucky. I read a Reddit post about this, so yeah. I'm the expert now. Let's do the thing. My friend calls them Walmart doms. Walmart like, doms. I spanked someone once. <laughs> Is this like the Fifty Shades of Grey starter kit? I just bought some rope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Yeah. There's like, I mean, you know, a couple, I know a couple red flags when I see them for like, you know, I think I'm a dom now or confusing it with masculinity. Um, and, and those are the types too that would be very gaslighty of just like, well, you're not a good sub if you don't do this or like you're not a real sub or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. Like, don't question me. Um, so there's 
but the thing is is that like those moments where you can get someone to the point of like complete vulnerability where they feel helpless hopeless all those things there's all this trust communication and conversation that led up to that that makes it more satisfying Mm-hmm. Because you've worked harder to get there instead of just like demanding someone goes to this place. A true subspace is going to be like built up over time. So it's interesting because in hypnosis, there's something very similar yeah. where if you go on YouTube and you watch like what what's called instant inductions, those are the things where someone's talking to someone on the street and then they're like, one, two, three, sleep. And then the person drops and it looks really crazy and amazing. And when you double click and you learn more about what's happening there's a bunch of stuff that they don't show you that takes place beforehand of them approaching the person, talking to them, setting up the idea of hypnosis, oh. saying, can you stand over here? Can you just adjust a little bit? So getting that rapport and that direction established. And there's all of these little subtle things that then lead up to that moment. That's like, wow, that person just dropped. And it's like, no, it's not the overnight success that it, you thought it was <laughs> like that band had been around for 10 years working working to get to that overnight success. Hmm. So I, I feel like in Kink, it's the similar thing where that's what they don't show you in yeah. the movies is there's not a lot of movies that are Fifty Shades of Grey plus negotiating, processing. like Each person is different. You have to yeah. approach them differently. Failing and then having to figure out like, how are we both okay? Like, what did we learn from that experience? How do we mm-hmm. move forward? Yeah. Patience is like one of the biggest key things. Patience, silence, all these things that we're usually have a discomfort about we have to learn how to not. And that's, if we can wait those things out, that's when we can see those great rewards. But when we want this immediacy, this now, 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 which we're creatures of immediacy, then we're, we're rushing things and we, it, yeah, it's, we're just not going to get the answers that we want. We're going to coerce people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the dominant trend in our, in our world, yeah. America in 2019 is obviously for men to be in control and empower and women to be, more submissive and we're seeing that starting to crack as people are talking about like oh when we have a powerful female presidential candidate people act very differently than when we have a male who's doing the same or worse behavior but people see her as bossy and bitchy and they wouldn't see a guy as that so for you personally having moved a bit against the grain from the way that society wants you to be how has that changed your perspective um, on things in the normal waking world well I think one thing that's really beautiful is within BDSM it's play space Mm -hmm. so the way someone had had put it recently was it's a game it's a game with an agreed-upon set of rules and a goal um and the the two or more players exactly and I loved that and it is it's play space but whenever I'm like coaching people or teaching people I just tell them to like be what you feel like you're not allowed to be in the normal world so if you feel like you're too loud if you feel like you're too androgynous or whatever these things are so I was always criticized that I'm like too harsh in my language and my words and I just didn't know how to censor that and now I can just be that and that's what's celebrated about me so it's a great freeing thing in that sense and I think that's what it can be for people on both sides so I think even um, you know people socialize as men when they want to be dominant it's because they feel like maybe now in the current climate it has looked poorly upon if they're going to objectify a woman if they're going to be dominant um, if they want to be physical or something like that so it's a place where with agreed upon rules with a consenting adult that you can maybe act on those things um, or on the flip side if they don't want to feel in the world like emasculated um, or this kind of role reversal type of a thing once you sexualize it it becomes like kind of okay mm-hmm. <laughs> in some sort of a way but I think 
I think we're seeing a shift of it more now is just more that people on both sides are just realizing that realizing that there is more options than what were given to them. I think absolutely. It's like it seems like there's these two forces of consent and awareness, awareness of realizing, hey, there's power dynamics in place all the time. There is no such thing as normal. There's just some enforced system that we haven't thought about consciously yet. And realizing that you are socialized into that system and that is informing the way that you act with other people, with employers, and then having that awareness and deciding, do I consent to that? Do I want to continue to embody these patterns or am I going to say no? And then how do I go about creating alternate spaces where I can explore other patterns that are more appropriate to me, more pleasing, soothing, just feel better. Or on the flip side, if you really just like go a hundred percent into that, no, and you're just so quick to jump on all these things and why they're no and why they're wrong, you're not giving enough room for conversation, for there to be discomfort and growth um, Mm. and learning from those things because I know I just keep getting like taken back to it because I feel like the extreme of this is just like, let's talk about all these things and say we're not okay with it. But then you get everyone ganging up and the only solution is for that person to fold and be quiet. And while it's like, you know, the the system was failing us. We did Mm -hmm. it this way. We were allowed and we got into a mob. And you know what? It worked and it was effective. Is it sustainable? No. Yeah. Um, But, you know, for what we needed and what needed to be done. Yes, it was very effective. But I just it's something where it's really hard to have a conversation when everyone else around you is yelling. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I've seen that before. where I've seen people who get into their own pattern where they're so used to being on the side of the underdog and the aggrieved that they don't realize when they're in a community where that's not the role that they actually hold anymore. Yes, in the larger society, but now there are other people within the group that you are a part of that are like, hold on, I object, and it's not because they're the same as the enemy outside. It's a different objection that needs to be heard and listened to rather than just like, no, you're problematic. Like, you're obviously the same as the outsiders. Yeah, Yeah, and there's just certain, like, paralyzing words where you just can't come back from that like what a, a classic example is if someone's like you're being defensive and if you're like no I'm not like ah you're just doing it yeah. so there's certain words that are just paralyzing in that way where sometimes the only thing you can do is walk away and even then it's like well I guess you're gonna walk away and be quiet like a coward yeah. so it's it it's tough it's we're not able to have a lot of conversations um that we should be when you're doing a, a dom scene with somebody else, um, is it cathartic for you? And does that vary based on whether it's a pro-dom thing or something that you're doing just for pleasure with someone that's a play partner? So, I mean, it's funny you say that, too. I was in Chicago recently and I had a session with someone I'd seen before. but Some deep dish he, humiliation. Well, he like progressed with like what he's into because it was very mm-hmm. different from what we did the first time I saw him. And he went into subspace pretty early. Like I was just like, did he just fall asleep? Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I'm just going to wait here. Time waste, time waste. Um, yeah. And he gave me this like laundry list of all the ways that he wanted to be broken basically. And at the end of it, I, I, I realized I was like, Oh, he just wants me to like basically give a feminist speech. So <laughs> I just did that for like the last half hour of it and ended by like making him promise that he was going to be a slave to the feminist agenda. I love that. It was, and like, you know what? That's very cathartic. And I just got to like say all these different things where it was less of, um, you know, it's sometimes it's like, is this what this person wants? Are they enjoying it? Type of a thing. Yeah. Um, or, 
or is it something where like okay I got this I know what they need and I can do these things and have fun like I love trash talking and things like that um, but I'm still very concerned with like is this the route that you wanted especially when they go kind of mute um, where like oh just when I'm in my like subspace I'm just really quiet which like both my clients there happen to be mm-hmm. so I'm getting no feedback I'm just kind of talking to myself uh, but I kind of realized at a certain point and I'm like you know what let's just like leave five or ten minutes for aftercare we're gonna do some like grounding exercises type of a thing and like I feel like that's what you need and you didn't know that you should like tell people in the future that that's what you want but yeah. as, as terms of like what is cathartic um, I think it just it depends on the session. Sometimes a session can be like really fun for me and really cathartic. Um, sometimes it feels like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And that just depends on if it fits within what I like to do. And then also if, like how creative is it type yeah. of a thing? How much um, I, I love humiliation because the verbal side of it, it's so creative and I can use my words and find different ways and semantics to get to a similar place. But with with personal partners um, or like casual lovers or things like that, it's I mean, for that, like I'm, I'm caring like I, I care about everyone's end goal at the end of the day. But I care way more about that. And I care about facilitating our relationship and making sure that I like get them to a place, but like at the right steady time. Whereas like with a client session, I got an hour. I want something to happen for them. I want to get them what they want within this hour. Whereas with a personal relationship, like I want this to continue and it doesn't have to happen right now. It sounds like they're sort of parallel where where in a professional situation, you're still concerned about the person's well-being and are you giving them the thing that they want, but it's a little bit more time bound and just, you know, like let's get you to the end and off the premises and there Mm -hmm. we go. Whereas with a partner, you still are concerned about are you getting what you want? But there's a little more room to explore and it's all yeah. building part of the relationship together. I would say like with a partner, it's more fun. Mm-hmm. With a client, it's more cathartic. Gotcha. Probably. Because I don't like, you know, I mean, some of them like we're friends. I care about them. But at the end of the day, like I don't really give a shit about them. Yeah. In a certain way. Like, you know, there, there's this one client where like. I, he would see me every so often when he came in to like go to the hospital. I haven't heard from him. I don't know if he's alive and like he's a sweet person. I care about yeah. him, but like it's he's my client at the end of the day, right? Type of a thing. So like kind of with that, then it's it's kind of all cathartic. Yeah. At the end of the day, do you have some tips for trash talk? For trash talk, well, first things is. Don't think that you're just insulting the the best insults and trash talk is it's the long con. So when you get them to really think about it and especially when you get like deep down Mm -hmm. and a lot of it, it can just be really vague of just like, I don't even have to tell you you're a disappointment because you already know and you tell yourself this every night or something like that. Yeah. You just kind of you can figure out certain people and like what's their insecurity and like dig at that a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm like so skilled at it. I don't even know how to give recommendations. Was that a skill that you always had? Yeah. (laughs) I I co-commish a fantasy football league Mm. and I write weekly email recaps where I rip everyone a new asshole and they love it. Yeah. So yeah, it was something like, again, I'm very like harsh, mean, those types of things, but it's always with like kind of a fun jest to it and like a little smile. But I would say patience, taking your time. A well-crafted sentence, especially when said very slowly and deliberately, is much more thought out. And because there's all this calmness to it as well. 
So I really like that. And like anytime I always say when you're raising your voice or yelling or you're trying to say something that's just like a mean word, um, it's not going to cut as deep, but also that's a sign of weakness. Yeah. But you're having to utilize, you're having to re- sorry, resort to those things because you don't have that control. Whereas if I'm just calm and cool being like, I don't even have to insult you because you already know what an embarrassment you are. I'm not mad. I'm just <laughs> exactly. disappointed. It's the mom insults. <laughs> <laughs> Drop those devastating mom insults. Yeah. Well, this has been fascinating and I'd love to now transition into our spell crafting portion where we figure out what's something that listeners at home could do to explore these ideas and figure out maybe where they are on this scale of of dominance and submissiveness and how to start their own exploration and blossoming as as you have. Yeah. So I was actually thinking about this more as you were talking, but I think a great tool that is good for the beginner and the seasoned veteran alike, um, also whether you want to do dom sub or no BDSM stuff at all is still a valuable tool, is being comfortable in silence. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. So how long of silence are we talking about? So, I mean, it's something you can play with too, but start to see how long of a silence you can have with someone before you feel this need to break it. Or maybe they do. And if they break it before you do, how does that make you feel? Yeah. I like to do this when I maybe I'm on like a date or I'm at like lunch with a friend or something where you feel like you're just, you know, filling dead air type mm-hmm. of a thing where it's like, well, what if we didn't do this? Like, because you know, when you can just be quiet with someone and have a great time and you don't have to say anything, that's like true comfort with someone. And we tend to be very uncomfortable in silence, which is why I was saying for, for things like trash talk of slowing down, being deliberate, saying things in a slower manner. When you're silent, it also gives you more time to collect yourself. There's no reason that you have to talk. Mm-hmm. No one's making you. It's not weird. And if someone's like, why aren't you talking now? It's like, it, does that make you uncomfortable if I'm not? And you, there you go. You just flipped it around on them. But it's something that can be a really great tool because if you can be comfortable in silence, in really long silence, especially if you're making eye contact, then you can be comfortable in so many situations, so many awkward situations and things like that when you just realize it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. So sometime this week, own your power, use your silence, and take a little bath and some discomfort. It's like do less. Do less. Do less. There you go. Love it. Thank you, Lola Jean. Yeah, thank you. For more of Lola's work, visit lolajean.com which is in no way affiliated with that of Lola Jean from Henry, South Dakota. And to consensually join the ritual within a ritual that is This Podcast is a Ritual, visit patreon.com slash thispodcastisaritual, where you can engage in a little wizard domination by donating $4.20. You sexy little toad. Yeah, you like it when a wizard calls you names, don't you? You sniveling worm. You magical miscreant, you bitchy little witches. Until next time, just remember, negotiate consent, play safe, and have fun. (laughs) 